Welcome to Sport Management Review Insights. I'm your host, Vito Subral, and I'll get a sense of Sport Management Review's published research by speaking with the researchers themselves. Athlete activism has taken center stage in sport arenas across the world recently, and that's our focus in this episode. To discuss this, we have someone who's published on a wide variety of sport-related topics over the last decade. He's done research on social media, broadcasting economics, the environment, as well as contemporary social issues. He's Associate Professor at University of South Carolina. It's Nick Watanabe. Welcome, Nick. Hi, thank you for having me. It's our pleasure. And Nick and co-authors Grace Yan and Brian Serbing recently published Market Disruption as a Regime for Athlete Activism, an Economic Analysis of College Football Player Protests. And Nick, I think it's fair to say that research on sport, politics and society has been approached from several different viewpoints. But how did an economic analysis help us understand athlete activism? If you actually read the introduction of the story, we talk about the evening of November 7th, 2015, where the players at the University of Missouri basically went on protest. They went on strike saying, we're not going to play until these demands are met. Myself and Dr. Yan were both working at the University of Missouri on that exact date. In fact, we were driving back uh, from a conference in New Mexico. We had just crossed probably into the plains of Kansas and my phone just exploded from other faculty around the country as well as students and other people at Missouri saying, hey, are you looking at this? And so we were able to sort of witness firsthand within our community exactly this athlete activism. And it was sort of amazing to watch this happen. And so as we observed all this, we started to think different ways that we might be able to uh, examine this and look at it in more depth. And in our, we were fortunate that we found a extensive literature in the um, business management organizational theory side of the literature focused on this idea of market disruption. So the idea is that through some type of protest or movement, you're able to disrupt the um, resources of an organization. So because this sort of fundamental theoretical understanding existed, we were able to then pull this into sport and say, this is another way I think we can look at athlete activity. And I'll give credit to Dr. Yan. She's the one who found this. And it's really emerged itself, actually, within the last 10 or 15 years as well. So it's a relatively new area um, in some sense in the uh, business management literature as well. So we were able to take this sort of interesting theoretical aspect and then bring it in and help us to develop a better understanding of the dynamics and what's happening and how this is all related to power relations. So after you've done this research and you go back to that uh, story where the, the athletes are protesting, your phone's blowing up. Now knowing this, how would you view that event and that issue? I don't know if my view of it has changed, but I would certainly look at it more and consider that the players certainly are exercising this power they have and that indeed their uh, threat of not playing is linked to this disruption that we're going to disrupt this market until something is fixed. And in some sense, the market disruption literature even says that they'll just disrupt even to raise awareness. We don't even have a necessarily a specific outcome goal that has to be met. We're just getting the public to understand that there's this problem and that they need to recognize. And so I wouldn't say that the Colin Kaepernick protests in the NFL fall directly under that, but he was in initially, right, just sitting and then taking a knee to basically raise awareness, right? So he was essentially, we would say, disrupting this market of professional sport 
so as to get people to become aware of what's happening. And then it has grown into a much larger movement, right? And we saw even again this past weekend in college football here in the U.S., some of the players took knees before the game. Um, so it has become very, uh, very significant movement that we've seen. And I know different scholars have sort of discussed where this wave is of athlete activism, but a lot of it does point towards this current wave and shift of having to come from players in the NBA, but also the protest at the University of Missouri. So it was interesting to be able to sort of witness this directly firsthand in a very pivotal moment in terms of sport um, and labor relations as well. In this research, you, you created a model for examining the college football attendance by controlling for economic, demographic, game, and residual factors. Now, um, Nick, I'm going to have to admit, I'm not much of a quant person, so uh, that makes my head spin. But can you tell us why that was important? How did you control for these factors? Our question basically is, are these protests impacting um, attendance at games? And that's because we're considering it. And if you look at the, uh, this market disruption literature, they're usually looking at like the stock price of them. Um, but we feel that the actually sport context might provide us a better way to look at this because stock price is just, you know, the perceived value of people who are investing in the company. Attendance is actually, right, the direct sales input into the organization. So we're actually looking at exactly whether customers are coming or not or using their tickets or not for these games. Now, the problem therein is there's a lot of factors that can determine this, especially as we use a larger database. We did an initial study with the University of Missouri, and um, we presented it at a conference. And I had very good comments from uh, some sport economists, such as uh, Dr. Coates, uh, Dr. Frank Stevenson, and Dr. Craig Defkin, who were basically saying, you know, you probably need to expand this out more because you're looking at, you know, a few instances. And if you look at this whole country, you'd probably get a lot more observation. And so we did that. And, you know, I'm very thankful for that because I think without that advice, we probably would not have had as, and the reviewers also point out similar things that we needed to do that. So we expanded out this model, right? So we're controlling for a variety of economic and demographic factors, as well as things that'll impact the attractiveness of the game. So we account for the ratings for the team and the opposing team. Because of course, the stronger the team, the theorization is, the more people will be interested in coming. We include things like the temperature, wind, you know, anything that might basically impact uh, the game. We also uh, included a few interesting measures. So one that I got was the GOP percent. So I found the data on the number, the percent of individuals who voted for the GOP candidate in the most real, recent election. So basically, we use the county by county level data to compose each market and then basically figure out how that market was voting. And then what we were able to do is interact that with our measure of protest. So we mark when protest happens. We also have some trend variables for that. But basically, we sort of interact when a protest happens and that the uh, political voting demographic of the market. So that's sort of you know, what we've done is we've created this economic model following this standard uh, you know, demand theory that previous scholars have helped develop. And then we've added in these uh, political, um, these political measures, as well as these protest measures to basically look at our core research. And that then controls for like all the other factors. You seem to have controlled for an awesome amount of factors. Uh, I, I'm pretty impressed. And I don't even know quant that well. So uh, <laughs> you, you've built that up so brilliantly and so well. Now I'm on the edge of my seat. What were the findings? What, what did you find out of this? 
we do find that there's an impact of protests. And what we see is there's actually this significant effect that the more, um, if we would say, right, the more you vote in towards the Republican or conservative side, the greater the decline or impact on attendance was. So we would see that there's disruption, and not only that, that this disruption seems to have a bigger effect when it's sort of opposed to the political views of the area. What was curious is, so there's, we did a couple different models. We had basically, is it after the protest, which we call like the post-protest, and then the interaction. So the post-protest was actually positive, but the interaction was negative. And then, so when we did the math on that, basically if we plot it out, we see that basically over time, attendance is declining after the protests. And when we do that, we, you know, it's a little bit confusing because you got to get into things like exponentials and stuff like this and multiplying things together. And so we basically took like a baseline, like the average for a market in the U.S. is about 45% conservative voters. Um, I believe it's also about 46% liberal voters. And then that other percentage is people voting for other fringe parties or writing candidates. Um, and so what we see is that just this protest effect would typically just uh, cause a slight increase, actually. There seemed to be more attention to gains, which we found sort of surprising. So then when we started putting in the market factors, we were able to develop out this trend. And we have, if you, or look, if you happen to have the paper, paper with you, this table five shows that like the first four to five games has a positive increase in attendance after a protest but that it starts to slope down. And then you start to get into the negatives. But if you look specifically at trends for like the University of Missouri that we looked at, we are seeing that um, based on the number of days or based on the number of games, we were often getting to about negative five to 6% decrease in attendance compared to the average. So what we find is that there's sort of this slight bump at the beginning but then it shifts downward. So it's like people get interested. I don't know, we, have an ex we don't have a full explanation. We can't say causally what's happening, whether people are showing up because they want to support or whether they want to go there and yell at the players. Um, we actually theorize based on the market disruption literature that it's both, that you're getting an increase of both support and detractors who come. And then that then starts to slope off, but then, you do see the actual attendance average then begins to go down as you subsequently go through the season. Um, we saw the biggest effect in Nebraska where and Lincoln, they have about 46.6% GOP percent voters. And so even in their first game, they had a negative, we, we basically estimate they should have had a negative um, impact on attendance that then just continues to grow and grow. And by like the end of their season is up to almost like eight or 9%. In decline, which is significant, right? For you to lose 10% of the revenues from ticket sales for the primary driver of a college athletic department is a very big deal. And we can see that currently from what's going on with COVID. How does this research advance our, our knowledge, our understanding? Ultimately, what does this all mean? I think it does it from a couple of perspectives. From the economic side, I would say it shows us that uh, politics, especially things like protests certainly have an impact of the market. Now I'll say that people like Dave Barry have done extensive work uh, looking at athlete strikes, right? Where the athletes go on strike for uh, labor reasons, as in we need to get paid. 
and that this has a negative impact on the perceptions and attendance from consumers. We're seeing this happens also for uh, social movements, right? And so it sort of adds to this that, you know, the consumer is responsive to whether it be athletes striking or athletes doing social movements, they do basically have some kind of response to it. I think uh, more importantly within the overall sort of sport uh, economics and sociology literature, it does show that, that the labor force, especially in the case of here, the collegiate system of the NCAA in the United States, that the athletes who are also students who are not paid are uh, essentially uh, have economic power. So despite the fact that they're amateurs, or quote unquote amateurs who are not paid, they are economically powerful. I, I won't say that this paper is saying that they, sh that they should get paid from what our model is saying, but our overall perception is if they have such power, you know, it might only be a certain amount of time until you know, they realize that we have such power, we're not getting paid, we really need to do something about this and then organize again to basically go on strike. That's sort of, you know, more of a managerial side implication. But I think it sort of, it, it touches on a lot of things, right? The sociology and economics of sport and this uh, role of um, social protests in current society. And curiously enough, you know, when we wrote this paper, I thought, you know, this is very interesting and, you know, we're going to get a few more instances of it, I think, in the coming years. Kwame's probably laughing right now because he's like, few more. <laughs> we look at this tidal wave, right? look at all of the things that have happened in the years. And so now I think it actually helps to provide sort of a fundamental understanding of a lot of what we're seeing um, from an economic perspective in terms of athlete activism and sport and why they're participating, why they're doing it. They know how they have the power to disrupt the market. And it's not necessarily even in purposely hurting an organization, right? Because they're members of this organization. What they're doing is they're trying to create awareness. And now we've seen this spread through everywhere, right? We've seen, you know, Arsenal wore the uh, Black Lives Matters jerseys for one of their, uh, I believe it was an FA Cup match. We have the WNBA who's prominently featuring in these, you know, and you, you can just look everywhere and athletes are becoming more relevant in terms of voicing their opinions on social matters. Uh, Lewis Hamilton, right, if we consider F1, has sort of led a drive there, um, even though not all the drivers seem to be buying in, he hasn't backed down. And I'll admit, I'm not a Lewis Hamilton fan, but it's great to see everything he's doing within his sport to sort of emphasize. This research really suggests that athletes may have more power than they realize. And we might see them starting to use that for different purposes. Not obviously uh, equality is, is an important purpose, but, but also equality in, like you say, in college sport, in pay and, and other areas. Yeah, that's correct. I, I, I would agree with that. That's great. It means I've listened properly. But <laughs> also another important aspect is how can the different sport and even non-sport organizations take the findings from this research and other literature here on board with their decision making? That's a very uh, good question. So I think I sort of touched on this right in, in, in my previous discussion, but we see that athlete activism is not just a football, as in U.S. football. American football thing, but has reached into proper football, right? I'm an Arsenal fan, so of course I use the Arsenal analogy. Um, it, it's okay. I, I, I call it football too. And uh, just for those who, who may not, we're talking about soccer. People who I work with who are probably shaking their head right now. Um, 
all of that said, right, um, so, right, we can see that in proper football, um, where we see people or the players are participating in these. And I think organizations are coming to become a lot more aware of this. Um, you know, the Olympics has these rules against, you know, political protests and often can, you know, go after players. Uh, we wrote, a, uh, Dr. Yan and I wrote a paper actually about the uh, Olympic Games where Japan and South Korea played in the, I believe the bronze medal match in South Korea won. And after the game, one of the players held up a sign saying Dokdo Island is ours because there's a territorial dispute between the two countries. And they basically, they didn't strip him of the medal, but they didn't let him participate in the medal ceremony, which is terrible, right? He should be able to, he should be able to participate. I, is, you know, it's not necessarily an innocuous message, but at the same time, organizations have to realize that players have come to understand that they have the ability to make political statements it may not go with your organization's focus and ideals, but the more you try to suppress them, I think the more, the more problems you're going to have. Um, we've seen that in the WNBA, and of course I have to fit in a Star Wars quote, right? As Princess Leia on the Death Star says to Tarkin, the more you tighten your grip, the more star systems flow through your hands, right? It's basically, I think, going to be sort of a similar situation is if leagues tighten their grip and crack down on this and say no, no activism. And that's the same for, I think, any organization. If you say there's no activism, no ability to do these things, I think you're going to have employees who are going to say, oh, screw that, I'm going to do this. And then, you know, it could even build against your organization as well, right? There's, they won't just say, I'm making the stand, but I'm making the stand despite the fact that my organization won't allow me to do it. You know, it was sort of interesting uh, with the Olympics being canceled. I, we were, you know, we were waiting to see what was going to happen in terms of activism during the Olympics, especially with sort of the rules and regulations that are in place for that. And, you know, they've been probably a little more flexible than they had been. But we were going to, we were curious to see to what extent athletes were going to try to make and, you know, use their platforms and then what kind of messages they were going to try to uh, spread and you know, enforce and uh, reinforce basically during the game. So, you know, whether you're sport organization or any other business, I would say you need to be aware of activism and it's important to within society and simply just taking some kind of authoritarian crackdown approach does not tend to go well. And in fact, I would say probably incites even more actions against you. And as the market disruption literature notes, when you do that, you're probably going to impact your organization more than anything. So, you know, I think there is a lot to be said here. Probably some moral about free speech is uh, there, but I probably leave that to legal scholars to debate further. Uh, ultimately, though, sport organizations and others should heed the warning of Princess Leia. I agree with that entirely. Thanks so much, Nick. It was great insight into, into sport activism and market disruption, athlete activism and market disruption and how that all comes together to help us understand it. Thank you. I'm excited that this got published. I'm honored and uh, hopefully I can be back again sometime to talk about other research. We'd love to have you again. Thanks, Nick. Thank you. And thanks for listening to Sport Management Review Insights. Please head to the Sport Management Review website to check out all the latest research being published, including the article we discussed in this episode, Market Disruption as a Regime for Athlete Activism, an Economic Analysis of College Football Player Protests, from Volume 22, Issue 5. 
That's it for this episode, but keep a lookout. There'll be more dropping in your favorite podcast player soon. Until then, it's bye for now.